0: I need us to have a hard conversation. And I want us to start by talking about the hanging death of Robert Fuller, a young black man in Southern California in Palmdale, that many of us saw and believed was likely a lynching. We have good reason to believe such a thing. The police just deemed it a suicide. I've looked at the evidence, and I want us to talk about it. I want us to talk about mental health, what it means to be struggling with mental health, and particularly what it means as a young black man in America in this time struggling with mental health. Let's have a hard conversation. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the Breakdown. The the, the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. The United States is deeply racist. Let's start there. That's a fact. It's indisputable. There is systemic racism. There is overt racism. There is explicit and implicit racism and bigotry and white supremacy. And we're confronting it and dealing with it and living through it and surviving it and being traumatized by it every single day. Not only does this country have an ugly, that's, that, that word doesn't even suffice, uh, an atrocious history regarding race and racism from the legacy of slavery, from the legacy of lynching where thousands and thousands of black men, women, and children were brutally lynched through Jim Crow and all of the violence and abuse and ugliness that came with it all the way through mass incarceration and this current epidemic of police violence and police brutality, where over the past 10 years, over 10,000 people have been killed by American police. There are countries that over that same 10-year period, whose police have not killed a single person in 10 years. Our police have killed over 10,000, over three people a day, every single day, day in and day out. That's where we are. And so when you hear that a young, beautiful soul, Robert Fuller, was found hanging from a tree in the town square of Palmdale, California, which has a horrible history of police violence, systemic racism, overt racism. I know we think of California in one way, but California is an enormous state with many different ecosystems and bubbles, and some are super progressive and some aren't. And when we find in the shadows of what happened to George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and so many others, when we find that a young brother was found hanging from a tree in the middle of town, it is easy for us to conclude that man was lynched. And it's also easy to look at that situation and say, no black man would ever hang himself from a tree. I think that's a reasonable conclusion right? Just stick with me. It's reasonable in this climate, under these conditions, to look at such a thing and say, nobody would ever do that. And that's what I need us to talk about. Because people would do it. People do do it. I need us to start by admitting that one of the single fastest growing blocks of people committing suicide in this country are young black boys, girls, men, and women all over the country from coast to coast. Many people have said it right. It's being black is beautiful. It's not being black that is hard. It's living in this country With all of its harm and trauma, all of its abuse and bigotry that you have to survive and endure and overcome, that's what's hard. Being being black in this country, being black in this world is a beautiful thing, full of every bright, good thing imaginable. But it's also... Hard to live in this country under the constant threat of so much violence, so much pain. And in our households and in our communities, we have been so slow to embrace the need for mental health counseling and treatment. And there are systemic reasons for that. We have not had doctors that we trusted. We've been abused by the medical system. We have not had counselors and therapists who actually understand our pain. And we have been taught that to be black in America means to push through. Keep on pushing. Keep on going. Don't sleep. Don't rest. Work. Work your way through it. Grind your way through it and so that's what we do and the trauma that we experience often never even gets a conversation i don't think i've ever talked about this on this on the on this podcast i mean we are at almost 300 episodes and i don't think i've ever mentioned this but when i was 15 years old my best friend at the time was a brother who had already had just graduated high school. His name was Roger. And uh, Roger was like my muscle. He was like my bodyguard. He had, Roger had also lived an incredibly hard life. He had grown up in foster homes and was passed from foster home to foster system, from county to county. And he and I just became fast friends. We both had endured a lot of pain and trauma ourselves as children, as kids. And we were in Lexington, Kentucky, one summer, the, the summer, I believe, of 1994. And um, we were at a place called uh, The Plaza, which was in Lexington's West End. And every every city in America, every hood in America has a plaza. It was just a strip mall, just a, a strip mall in the hood. It was... In the West End, close to a place called Douglas Park, and used to be this neighborhood used to be full of kind of dilapidated housing projects. they've all been torn down now and and replaced with something a lot better uh not and not gentrification either uh, ironically um but replaced with better quality housing and even the plaza has been torn down now because of so much violence that happened there. but my friend Roger and I were shot at, I mean, at damn near point-blank range. The people who were shooting at us were maybe 10 feet away from us. And I don't know if you've seen that scene in Pulp Fiction where uh, Sam Jackson and John Travolta are shot at and all the bullets miss kind of like going around them in every way. And Sam Jackson has this kind of epiphany moment where he says, like, listen, God intervened and saved us. And we were shot at, I mean, from close range and narrowly escaped. Like, we literally had to run through a a restaurant in the plaza, go out the back door, get in his car and speed off and... We never talked about it again. I even that night. Roger spent the night with me that night. I mean, we were, I mean, we were obviously traumatized. And we never even talked about it. In part, we didn't want my mother to know what we had just experienced. We but we didn't talk about it the next day. Even when my mother was gone to work, we still didn't talk about it. And I don't know where we learned that. But we had both already experienced so much harm at that point, so much abuse at that point, that we both had already picked up the habit of enduring the abuse and just not talking about it. And that trauma that we see is real all over the country, where you just tuck it in and keep pushing, keep living. But that trauma that you tuck deep into the recesses of your mind, of your heart and soul, it comes out in other ways. I want to talk specifically about this hanging case. It's going to be a hard conversation. We have a quick word from one of our favorite sponsors, and then I'll be right back tell you all about one of my favorite sponsors here on the breakdown. It's Blinkist. Blinkist is a super unique learning tool that gathers the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and it condenses them down into 15 minute blinks that you can read or listen to. I love Blinkist because I can use it wherever and whenever. It's made for busy people who always want to be learning. And right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. I want you to check it out. Go to Blinkist.com slash breakdown to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off of all of the audiobooks that are yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash breakdown to get 25% off of a premium membership and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash breakdown. Check it out. I think you'll love it and you'll learn a lot. It's the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, the breakdown, break it down now. Just a few hours ago, The hanging death of Robert Fuller, the 24-year-old black man who was found hanging from a tree in the middle of the town square, the hanging death of Robert Fuller was ruled a suicide. Now, as you may recall, the police there ruled it a suicide initially within a day of his death, which not only angered the family, but also angered the community And the nation, and rightfully so, the family felt like police and investigators did not take enough time and care to actually determine the cause of death. And I understand that frustration. And it's the same thing that we see with police brutality, that police have so little care and so little concern and so little heart for black people that they are willing to abuse and murder black people. And it's, the root of that is just uh, not just hate, but it just a, a general lack of concern. That's why we see things repeatedly happen to black men, women, and children that would literally never happen to white folk. At the root of it is, is a feeling. And so that feeling seemed present. When police, really in a matter of hours, just said, nah, this is not a lynching, it's not a homicide, it's not a murder, this is a suicide. And because of community pressure and protest, um, police, basically the, the same police agency with, with some outside oversight, but not much, the same police agency did do a longer investigation. But this morning, they released the results of that investigation. And several of my friends, who are journalists that I respect and trust, wrote a few different articles about the investigation. And the police found several things that they could not have known within the 24 hours he was... Uh, Robert died on June 10th, um, just exactly a month ago today, That they couldn't have known on June 10th or June 11th. But we now know that Robert Fuller had been hospitalized multiple times for severe mental health problems and challenges. And on multiple occasions, said to doctors and nurses that he was considering suicide, including less than a year ago, this past November, where he communicated to doctors that he was considering setting himself on fire. I want us to pause there. Anybody who is considering setting themselves on fire could also take their life in any, any manner of ways. And here's the mistake that we make. When we say, and I see it right now, right this very moment on my Instagram page, I see people saying, black people don't hang themselves. Only to have other black people in my comments say, actually, I attempted to hang myself myself on multiple occasions and have been hospitalized for it. Only to have other Black people say, um, actually members of my own family uh, did that to themselves in committing suicide. And I readily admit that it is peculiar, crazy, wild, suspicious for a young Black man in this time to hang himself from a tree. We could call it cruel. You could call it outrageous. But here is where I want us to talk for a moment. You are thinking about what you would do. Right now, you are reasonably healthy. Your mental health is stable. I don't know. I don't know if you you are healthy uh, mentally and emotionally, but you are reasonably stable. And in your reasonably stable state, you know that you would never hang yourself from a tree. I can say right now that I would never hang myself from a tree. I can say that. But what none of us can say is what we would do if our mental health deteriorated so much that we had a break from reality. Something else that I rarely talk about it in part because of the confidentiality of the work but i used to work at a hospital for children in atlanta and i worked in it was a it was a residential mental health hospital for children one of the most celebrated centers of its kind and it was arguably the hardest work I've ever done in my life. I was a counselor there, and I was a counselor. Um, They had children there from the ages of 7 to 18. And kids only lived with other kids their age. And I worked full-time as a full-time counselor in... The wing for the youngest children, they actually had a a completely separate building and facility. It was on um, hundreds of acres of land in Atlanta, a beautiful place. And the concept was wonderful for what they were trying to do there. And the children, it was a, a trauma center for children with severe mental health problems and 40 now. This was over 10 years ago. And I was in my 20s when I was working there. And gosh, I'm trying to, it was almost 15 years ago. And um, every day, I would often work, weekly, I would often work uh, two 16-hour shifts and then one eight-hour shift to do 40 hours. And sometimes we'd get overtime and Filling somebody else's shift, and I saw things that I only only repeated to my wife, and even most of that I didn't even say to her. These kids, and every day, I, part of my job would be to take copious notes, pages and pages of notes. And each child had a detailed binder tracking their progress, their struggles, their issues, their challenges. And part of our job was to know the trauma that they had already experienced in life. There were maybe 20 young kids between the ages of 7 and 10 that lived full-time. Most of them had been there for months and months. Some had been there for over a year that lived full time there in the residential treatment facility. And this was the highest level trauma center that kids could live in. If this was the last place that most of these kids could go without being incarcerated. And they had experienced all of them the most severe, horrendous, evil abuse that I've ever heard of. I didn't even know people did those things to children. And because of the abuse that they had experienced, and I'm not suggesting in any way that Robert Fuller had experienced abuse, I don't know. But in great part, because of the unspeakable harm that had been done to these kids, and I won't repeat it, but the worst things that a human being could ever do to a child had all been done. Unfathomable, unthinkable, horror movie types of abuse. These kids struggled so mightily that in all of their bedrooms and they were only some kids had to be in a bedroom by themselves other kids had had a roommate but all of the rooms had cameras and windows because of the night terrors that they would have because of ways that they would sometimes act out at night we had to have um safe rooms to set with them in so that they would not harm themselves and they would often have such severe breaks from reality that you realized that their brains were broken. And forgive me if that's not a appropriate language, but their minds, hearts, souls, and bodies had been tortured. And it came out in the most difficult ways imaginable. And they would say things and do things to themselves and others that until that point in life that I would have thought was, I would have concluded that it was something like demonic possession almost. I mean, I I didn't grow up religious, but... I had no, as a, as a young boy and young man growing up in rural Kentucky in the, in the 80s and 90s, we, we talked nothing about mental health. And so my early understanding of people with mental health problems came from this religious, spiritual place. These kids had been traumatized, and the things that they did came out of that trauma and brokenness and pain and anguish. And sometimes there were no pills, no medicines, and all of them were on pills and medicines that sometimes helped a little and sometimes made things worse. There were doctors and nurses that lived inside, uh, that's, that worked rather inside of the building. And um, it caused me to always understand what was possible. From time to time, I was called to fill in for shifts, in the other wings and departments for the, for the preteens and for the teenagers and others. And they had all of the same problems, except they were fully grown. And I realized what mental health problems and challenges could do. I, I've said on here before that for years, I worked inside of jails and prisons full time all over, all over Georgia. Uh, 12 different jails and prisons that I would visit regularly as a traveling teacher. And uh, that was my full-time job. I worked for a place called the Holistic Stress Control Institute, a beautiful, brilliant place that was created in the shadows of the Atlanta child murders. And even, of course, even in jails and prisons, the mental health problems were overwhelming. And so... When black folk do take their own lives, I then regularly see good people, well-meaning, well-intentioned people say, I don't believe that. I, I even see people say black folk don't kill themselves. Yes, we do. It happens daily, literally all over this country. And again, you have to understand that when you are struggling mentally, you will make decisions that when you are not struggling mentally, you would think you would never do. And all I'm asking you to understand now is that you can't think like a person who is having a mental health crisis. You are not able to think like a person who is in the middle of a mental health emergency. You can't even put yourself in their shoes. We're not them. And when we are, I worked on a case in New York of a woman who took her own life, and for a year, people swore that she didn't. And... We suspected from the very beginning that she did. And there were reasons to think that maybe she had been murdered. Again, it was during a time of heightened racial injustice. But she took her own life, and she had struggled with her mental health. And we have every right to be suspicious, and that's ugly. That's the ugly truth of this country. But we have to somehow live in the tension that this country is ugly and that it is daily a real possibility that someone else caused our men women or children harm but that also we have we are fully human and have the full capacity to be good and evil to be right and wrong to be healthy and unhealthy And that that's part of our humanity. I'll leave us there. I know it's not a pretty bow at the end of this. But I also want to encourage you to check out a few websites like BetterHelp.com. They are a sponsor of The Breakdown, but they didn't pay for me to say that. It's a wonderful website where you can get mental health services from the comfort of your home. It's not a hotline, but I also want you to check out, go to Instagram and check out Black Men Heal, at Black Men Heal. And if you are a young black man or a black man of any age and you need any mental health support, and let me me rephrase that, to be black in this country is to experience trauma and harm. And I believe that there is a national case of PTSD that all of us have. Check out Black Men Hill. There are many other resources as well, including a brilliant resource. If you go to psychologytoday.com, you can find a mental health expert there, a therapist, and you can find people Based on religion, so say you have very specific requirements because of your faith. You can search even for ethnicity and gender. And let me tell you, that's okay. It's okay to want to find people that you believe will fully understand your pain. So check those things out, and let's keep having this conversation. Love and appreciate each of you. Take care, everybody. Break it down. Hey everybody, if you love the Breakdown Podcast, I don't know if you knew this, but we have two other amazing podcasts that I would argue might be even better than the Breakdown. Right now, if you go to your favorite podcast player, you can search for Sick Empire, which is our podcast about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic in New York, or you can go to my brand new podcast with my wife, Ray, called Married to the Movement, where we just tell our story, not just about how we met each other and fell in love, but what it means to lead and be married together in this movement for civil rights and human rights. So check out Sick Empire, check out Married to the Movement, leave great reviews, subscribe, and let us know what you think. Check them out. Break it down. The break, the break, break,